delicious! How do you feel about translating your work into video? I have a tough, I had a tough time doing it. I really did because it's, I deal in audio, and to me, audio should do it all. But then I'm watching these video clips. A lot of the new groups are really doing it well. They really got it. It's exciting. Um, and a lot of people can't go to see a show or never get to see groups in concert. And there's a, like a, there's a whole new art form. How did you feel actually making the video? Did you find that, that you were a lot more vulnerable being on camera? I don't like cameras, people. You know, they zoom up to you and just get away from me. Did you have a lot of input yourself into the making of the video? Um, I worked with a director named Russell Mulcahy, who is just crazy. He's from Australia originally, he's, but he works with these people in England. And he came up with these crazy ideas. What was it there? They were throwing water on me. They were throwing ashes in my face. What else was going on? Dogs were attacking me. Cars running after me. I mean, I didn't have to be Robert De Niro to do this thing. Hi, I'm Alan Altman. And I'm Dave Juskow. And this is Billy Joel A to Z. And welcome to, as they title it on the TV show, friends, the one after Piano Man. There's a lot of pressure to follow up. So perfect alphabetical timing as we discuss the third song of a Billy Joel's eighth album, The Nylon Curtain, entitled One, Two, Three, Four, Pressure. Pressure. Right. <laughs> pressure was the first single released off of the nylon curtain and entered the billboard charts on September 25, 1982. That's exactly two years since something new was released by Billy following glass houses, which could explain a lot of the pressure. Wow. He did it again. He did it twice. I thought you were going to say, so you can imagine that even a mediocre Billy Joel song would do well. After waiting so long and pressure did not disappoint, it ended up going all the way to number 20 on November 20, 1982. That week, November 20, 1982, ironically, the number one song was Up Where We Belong, which, as you may remember, was stolen from Billy's If I Only Had the Words by his hero Joe Cocker. Wait, what? Yeah, remember that? Did we talk about that? We sure did. Oh, yeah. You ruined the song by saying how much it sounded like it. I sure did. Billy's favorite thing, an edited single cut down to 305, 315 <laughs> really, uh, but you get it, appears on Greatest Hits, Volume 2, and only appears 
on the DVD version of the Stupid My Lives compilation album. The song also appears in the movie live from Yankee Stadium, where he doubles it up into a six-minute version to teach everyone a lesson. Alon, we obviously have rankings for this song, and they are a little all, all over the place. So let's just begin with our boy Christopher Bonanno's in his 2015 Vulture article, where does he place the song Pressure out of 121 Billy Joel songs? You know, I was, I mean, you just made me remember that, that, that Bananos really doesn't like these songs where Billy uses a weird voice. And this one definitely has that. And you're now you're nodding your head. So I'm going to call an <laughs> audible and not say what I was going to say. I'm going to go a little bit higher. 64. Oh, you're right there. 70. Okay. <laughs> yeah, you had it all figured out. I'm going to read both blurbs today because they're interesting. You do, in fact, have to deal with pressure. Unimaginable that it would be a hit today. That's <laughs> exactly why I wanted to read it. This is another one that's totally out of style, but it's a particular weakness of mine, even though it's not about much of anything besides, you know, pressure. Definitely a weakness of mine as well. Glenn Gamboa, out of 124 songs, where do you think he puts it? 20. 32. No one else could turn a frantic, classically influenced synthesizer riff and lyrics about avoiding a freak out into a top 20 pop hit. I think that says it all about the song and about Billy Joel. It is and became a pop hit. Christopher Bernanos is completely correct. If you tune in the song today, if you're somebody who's young, you're like, wait a minute, wait a minute. This song <laughs> was a pop hit. Listen, this is basically the song, you know, as I've mentioned before, the Nylon Curtain was a big influential album for me as I was just starting my kind of foray, even though Glass Houses was uh, the one that, but then after that, I was like, let's get more into Billy Joel. And Pressure was the first song I ever heard off the album. And because it has those synthesizers that everybody knows Dave Juskow likes, I loved the song. And I played it again and again and again where people had to come into my room and say, stop playing this song. And I'm like, no, I'm just looking for the meaning. I'm trying to figure out what he's trying to say. Yeah. I mean, What's there is Sesame some... Street he's talking about. What could this well, be? Obviously, I knew what that was. But I mean, what is he saying when he's like, all your life is Time magazine. And I read it, too. What does it mean? I don't know what that means. I still don't know what that means exactly to this song. But because I was in my first year of college at the time when he says psych one psych two what do you i mean what do you know i mean that was perfect i'm like well i'm in psych one right now yeah, he's talking I don't know about what he's me. talking about but he obviously is talking about me <laughs> that's cool that you had a personal connection to the song just because you were miserable in your psych one class well i wasn't miserable and it is just exciting that he had mentioned psych one it was exciting being upstate as you know where we both went to school that he mentioned channel 13 and then we would tell everybody, Oh, you see what that reference is, is you got to live in the city. And that's a public television. That's the, the channels that Sesame street is on. So you, you know, you'd have to know that and having that inside knowledge, you know, when you're far away from home was kind of fun as well. Yeah. I was thinking how like everyone around the world who likes the song has no idea necessarily what channel 13 means. I mean, he gives you a hint when he says Sesame street next, but you might not even know that those are connected lines. You would never but, know there, there is. That's not even a hint because you would never know. In fact, 
I would assume if you were from out of town or another country, you would say channel 13 must be some crazy sort of channel because, you know, what there's no such thing as a channel 13. So he was, you know, that that's what I would say. If I didn't know that channel 13 was a PBS station, I would have taken it to mean that, oh, there's no channel 13. It doesn't go up that high. He's talking about some channel that doesn't exist, which would make a lot of sense, too. It works in both ways. Yeah. Well, for people who don't know, Channel 13 is kind of the premier public station in the country, probably. And that's where we would listen to or watch public broadca- broadca- a PBS public broad- broadcast. Yeah, PBS TV station where you can see Sesame Street and Mr. Rogers neighborhood and Bob Ross painting and this old house. If you were into Bob Vila. Uh, so it was that kind of station. So uh, I think that and the Time Magazine line are both just about kind of like boring informational kind of stuff that's distracting you from being creative and getting over writer's block, which is what this song is about. Yes, certainly didn't know that until recently that it was about writer's block. I mean, it makes a lot of sense. In the opening, I said that it had been two years since he put out an album. And he had the uh, uh, Toys in the Attic. I said that on purpose. (laughs) That came in between Glass Houses and this album. So that gave him a little bit more time to write. But obviously... Uh, he had just gotten into a motorcycle accident and put out the glass house, probably looking for something new. I guess he just divorced his wife. So he was in a transitionary period. And obviously, uh, apparently we've done songs, a code of silence where he does seem to, after six or seven songs, get a writer's block to complete an album, which brings us to the fact why he probably quit because there's those seventh, eighth and ninth songs that he's like, I can't take it anymore. I can't take the pressure or I don't want to have the pressure anymore. I'm done. Right. And he's not the kind of guy who's just going to put out singles, although he did try that with all my life. Um, Stop. Why do you got to ruin this you know, for us? But how about this? Here's a guy who has this writer's block after six or seven songs on um, Nylon Curtain and then comes up with this, which might be one of the top two or three songs on the whole album. So it's not like Code of Silence where he came up with a song, but it kind of stinks. This is a great song that he was able to come up with kind of out of his ass. Yeah. And that's why we love Billy Joel, because even when the guy has writer's block and he's just, uh, you know, he can't think of anything. It's usually a good song. I mean, I agree. Code of Silence ain't that great. And he obviously needed somebody else to help him finish it. But when he writes it on his own, he's just the man. He can take stupidness, depression, anxiety, just anything and make it a hit song. Again, look at the, the nylon curtain. The, the entire album is depressed. That entire first side, the whole album is that first side. What does it go? Allentown, Laura, Pressure, Goodnight Saigon. I want to kill myself after listening to that side. <laughs> and yet, because Allentown and Pressure are so fun, even though the topics are insane. Uh, I don't want to kill my, well, I do after a good night Saigon, but if I left after pressure, I'd be like, yeah. And the live versions of pressure are even better because they're faster and they really rock. Yeah. The live versions are great. He really gets into it. You can tell he enjoys it a lot. Um, like on that live at long Island, which is from 82. So it was a pretty new song for him. I think he was really enjoying playing something new. Oh, you're so funny. I was going to say the exact opposite. Because to me, it looks like he is not enjoying it at all. 
No. Like he hates playing this song. That's the way it looks to me. The song itself, the way it's played, the rest of the band is completely enjoying it. And for all the fun we make of Liberty DeVito, he's amazing. I mean, absolutely amazing. I mean, there, there's where he gets his money. When he finally sits down and does his job, he really is that good, which if, if could make, if you look at the videos of this song, it could make up for everything we said because maybe he was like, look, Liberty's a pain in the ass. And I don't know what he's talking about, but when he's paid to do what he's supposed to do, he's really good at it. Boy, is he something else as a drummer? You're watching him go. It's great. Russia! And I'm sure you'll have some cosmic But if you look at Billy's expressions when he's playing this song, I'm not sure if it's the Long Island one or something else. Boy, he looks bored and, and dull. Remember that? The, did you see the one where he just walks from one piano to another? He does that a lot. Well, he's just walking. There's no entertainment value in it. He just looks like he hates this song, or at least in one of them. It looks like something happened or he has a stomach ache or something where he just cannot wait to finish this song, even though the song is great. If you're not looking at his facial expressions, you would never guess that. I don't know. I don't see it that way. I think he likes that. There's like this extended intro he does when it's live where you're waiting for him to come in with the synthesizer, but he kind of milks that moment and then he comes in with it and it's really exciting. But what sucks, though, is when you look at the more recent performances, he's not the guy playing the big synth solo. He has some other guy doing that. Well, it's probably David Rosenthal. So, yeah, but it loses. I mean, you want want to see Billy Joel doing that. It's like the really fun piano part. And then he's just doing whatever. He doesn't want to get up anymore. He doesn't want to take that walk over that bridge that he did. At least I don't I don't think that was the Long Island one. I don't know which one it was. It wasn't the Russia one. You know what I was thinking? I was watching the Russian one or the bridge to Russia, the Matter Trust tour. And he plays this song. It's uh when it's that's it's so rocking the version of pressure i say to myself wow if i was russian and i was there i mean they probably never heard anything like this before i mean it really does rock they must have just thought this was the greatest even if they don't know what he's talking about or the words but it really moves and grooves yeah, this song rocks really hard. And when it's funny because when you think about it, that synthesizer riff that's all throughout the song, which is so catchy, is very much like Johann Sebastian Bach, like Toccata and Fugue in D minor, the saddest of the keys. The saddest uh, of all keys. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's very much like if you listen, you know, that piece. I don't know a lot of classical music. That's one of those pieces that, that I am familiar with. And, and definitely uh, he was influenced by that. But it rocks so hard that when you hear cover versions where it's like, metal bands playing it on electric guitar it's really cool yeah yeah i heard that too it was great i heard a cover a couple cover versions like that with electric guitar and it's really good it's a really good song i have always liked it a lot but i think it's a song that nobody remembers or cares about or and doesn't really listen to because it's also a very strange song and again Billy Joel is probably the only one that could make a song like this a hit, just like what um, 
uh, I think Christopher Bonanno said, or or Glenn Gamboa, one of the ones. I mean, think about this, Alon. I, I I listed this up. The songs that were on the charts that week, they, they just sound nothing like this song. I mean, this song doesn't fit as an 80s song. You're talking about Truly from Lionel Richie or Heart Attack from Olivia Newton-John. Men at work. Who can it be now? Or Mickey, Tony Basil. Oh, Mickey, you're so fine. And then Man Eater from Hall and Oates or Stepping Out from Joe Jackson. That's the top ten songs, and none of them sound anything like this. I mean, this is a all those songs you could be, you know, have on an '80s disc, and you're like, oh, I remember this, I remember this, but this song it doesn't fit anywhere. And again, that's a tribute to him. He, it's a timeless piece. Yeah, timeless because it fits in no time. It's so no odd. time. Yeah, right. Yeah, there's, there's no of, era you could place this in. Right. It doesn't really fit. It kind of is like a add on to all for Lena from Glass Houses because that also had this kind of weird frantic energy. Nice things in a funny way, and now he yeah. turned it into a hit. That there was just like an album track, and now he figured out a way to make this a single. He figured out a way to make this a single. It really is amazing, and I mean. I, you know, it's one of those things like everybody knew the lyrics or we talked about the lyrics, like everybody seemed to know some of the lyrics, like everyone, you know, even if you didn't like Billy Joel, you know, he's yeah. just so good at that. Right. It's got some cool phrases in it. The baseball reference, which I guess was cut out of the single version. I know the baseball. He loves it. Right. But here you are in the ninth, two men out and three men, three on. men on. Nowhere to look. Is that what comes next? I don't remember. Yeah. Yeah. Right. The ninth, two men out, three men on. Yeah. So that's why he, I think he, he, right. He played that at Yankee Stadium because you better. <laughs> I mean, how do you, you know, how do you, you must have a baseball reference and not use it? Although I believe he also, where well, he uses the baseball reference and we didn't start the fire too, in the sense of, I believe he has the crack of the bat mm-hmm. and the roar of the crowd. Oh, and first pitch crushing. Let's talk about the music video for a is second. It, is there a music video for this? <laughs> yes. And the music <laughs> video is a really important one. And I can just tell you from, you know, being older and being around when MTV first started. Okay. So I remember when this music video came out, I remember either hearing things, you know, whether they were reviews in newspapers or whether they were talking about it on MTV. Now you have to remember that, the question was who's going to come to play and who's going to say we don't believe in music videos and, and going to die a slow death, you know, who's going to take to MTV and, and understand it or who's going to be, Oh, we don't do those kind of things. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So the ones of course that said I'm all in survived and the other ones, you know, just faded a fast death. Uh, because they're awful and they just didn't want to get on board. I'm too good for making a music video. Well, Billy Joel was known as being one of the first people. I mean, he might have come up with the first concept video of all time. But the weird part was what I just found out is that he really didn't care and he really didn't want to do it, but he knew how important it was. And so he let the director, Russell Mulcahy, just come up with whatever he wanted. And he said, I'm all in. Uh, and that was a, such a smart move, but everybody thought he was just. Be, it, I, I'm surprised that that's a comment because this guy was making music videos 
before there was music videos. As we know, all there's a, there's a video for Glass Houses. There's videos for 52nd Street. Even Piano Man. Even Piano Man. So this guy was all in, it seems. It's kind of weird that he wasn't, but there was never a concept video. There were always just people playing their instruments. And ironically, this guy, Russell Mulcahy, and I don't know whether he did it on purpose, whether that was the one. I mean, this guy was the guy because this guy directed the first music video ever played on MTV by the Buggles, which is video killed the radio star. So why not use the guy that kind of invented music video? And boy, did he, he came up with a great concept piece. I, you know, watching the video again, I enjoyed it more. But when it first came out, I kind of hated it. I How don't know why. It? It's so cool. It's so weird. Uh, I There was something about Billy Joel that I just wasn't liking. And now I like it a lot. I don't I guess I thought it was too forced. But now I like that it's forced. The shaking when he's, you know, being forced to watch TV and stuff. Yeah, I, the nervous breakdown in the in the beginning. His acting is like pretty terrible at that part. It gets better later on. Yes. And that might have bothered me. And I don't know. And maybe I just wanted more out of it. And I don't know what more I could get, but I remember people saying like that they thought it was terrific. The waking up in a flooded bed and a bedroom. And people thought that was the coolest thing. That's funny with all the water references. We know he loves water. So I don't understand why he would use water as a metaphor for being under pressure. If he loves water so much, I don't know water pressure. Maybe his showers weren't good. (laughs) But it is kind of funny for a guy that just sings about the ocean all the time to be like, I hate water is terrible. It's going to kill us all. (laughs) Psychoanalysis is like, actually, he hates water. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, go figure. That's why he wants to be in a boat above the water. Right. It's funny that, you know, the song is about pressure and the very first vignette that you see in this video, like, what could it be? What's the pressure he's feeling is like a a car drives by and splashes him. Yeah. It drives into a puddle and he gets a little wet. (laughs) And that's like, oh, my God, how could he deal with this? Yeah, but see, I like that. I forgot about that. And I was watching it again. I like that because that is one of those things that puts people over the edge. Getting hit by water by a car going over a puddle is the the one they depict all the time. Because if we if, if anybody's had that done to you, it is the worst feeling in the world. But if you remember in every you know, movie or TV show that's ever been made. That's the last thing to have happen when you're having a bad day. (laughs) (laughs) So it's a good metaphor for the song pressure. Yeah, that's a good point. It does. It ruins your day completely for sure. There's so many weird uh, images in that video. You know, there's that part when the kid's walking down the psych ward hallway and there are these like things, objects flying in the air around his head. And what they are is Heinz chili sauce, scissors, And scotch tape. Yeah. And they always say that the video is supposed to be half. uh, Certainly they got that concept from uh, Clockwork Orange and Poltergeist. But that part seems like it's from 2001 A Space Odyssey, especially with the old man. Yeah, it's got that in it for sure. There's definitely never mentioned that, though. It's a lot of Kubrick influences for sure. They Good point. Excellent point. Right. Kubrick references. Uh, They also mentioned this movie, The Parallax View, which is so weird because I actually just saw that for the first time the other day. Never seen it before. It's this Warren Beatty movie, like one of those paranoid movies from the 70s, uh, which makes a lot of sense. It's not a very famous film, but I guess, you know, some uh, director probably was like, hey, let's do, you know, a, a, a director like, you know, who pulls from lots of different things. Yeah, probably uh, knew 
I'm sure Billy didn't think of that. <laughs> but no. I, but also, did you notice in the game show portion, I, I wrote down all the things that they have the uh, people that, you know, what they like. I, yeah, let's I've never, talk about that. It was very interesting. Yeah, I was never able to stop it before. You know, obviously, I couldn't catch it. So they have this one guy whose interests are film, sports, girls, and good food, which is hilarious. And then the woman who's bowling, disco, and gourmet cooking. But then it says William Joel, 29. Right. He's he... 33 here. So he's, he's that's what I thought. That was <laughs> he needed to seem young for MTV, right? That's why. He oh, did my it. God. I never thought about that. Oh, that's interesting. So and it says fast bikes, cooking, water sports. And it just says satellite and nothing else. I think that's another TV reference. We know he loves TV. And at this point, he likes satellite TV. No, no, there was no such thing as satellite TV. Back and what does then. it mean? Well, I feel like they ran out of room and they were going to put something else. <laughs> I don't know. Sirius XM, satellite radio. Well, that's the thing. Well, isn't that funny? Because he's such a proponent of Sirius XM satellite radio where he's done, you know, interviewed by his by song by song, his entire catalog. He gave up them. But I like fast bikes. We know he likes fast bikes. We know he likes cooking because he married a chef. We know he likes water sports. I mean, yeah. maybe he doesn't like sports, but he likes water. Well, water sports could be like a fast boat. Right. Exactly. So or fishing, satellite fishing is a water sport. The satellite thing doesn't make any sense, except he's predicting the future. Well, I'm saying, of course, he did with this entire song and video. Now, um, if you think satellite's a mistake, like they were, they ran out of space or something, I would, I buy that because there are two major typos in this section also. I don't know if you noticed, but the word interests is spelled wrong. Not on the first guy. The first guy, it's spelled correctly. But for Marsha Hunt, the, the lady, and then for William Joel, it's spelled I-N-T-E-R-S-T-S. So they're just missing an E in the word. Man, that's so funny. Uh, and no one ever noticed. I mean, this was played nonstop on MTV in 1982, and not one person has ever mentioned it before. I would have written an angry letter if I had seen it. <laughs> but it comes on the screen so fast. Like you were saying, you can't yeah. pause it. Yeah, I finally paused it just to see what it was saying. But but this, yeah, this video was played so much. And again, it's really something else because it is the first concept video. I keep thinking this guy also did, this Russell McKay also did uh, Duran Duran, I think, Hungry Like the Wolf, which was a legendary music video. But why? It's stupid and it's not very good. And that was considered a concept video, but it's not a concept. I mean, maybe it is, but it's not as good as this. This took time and money and effort. And before, if you look at the videos that were around this time, there's nothing like this. Yeah, the special effects in this video, the practical special effects, the water coming out of the desk, all of that, or the, him melting into the, the um, living room the, carpet. Yeah, that living room carpet. That's, those are really good effects. The only part that makes it look really dated is when it has the computerized effects, like the, the things flying in the air. Otherwise, this could be a video from the 90s. Yeah. Uh, and it's possible that this video, I mean, listen, the song is really good, but it's very possible that this video fueled this song to get to number 20, because, again, when we went over the list of the top 10 songs, it doesn't fit. But back then, music video was, you know, getting to be king. If you have a popular music video, the song does well, as, you know, as well. Yeah, of course. It's just like now where if someone's streaming something big, then maybe radio will pick it up. It has different angles where things can become popular. Uh, also, being on TV, used on TV, is makes something popular, which has helped out the song Pressure more recently. 
because it was used in a long montage on the Amazon series, The Boys in 2020. Well, I bet that guy, uh, what's his name? Kaczynski, I think, or something. He, uh, Kripke, the guy who created the show, I actually DM'd him to see if he wanted to be on our show because Billy Joel is throughout the entire series. I've seen the entire series. It's really good. And the kid who is the lead in it loves Billy Joel. So he's always playing Billy Joel in his in his headphones and uh, and so that they go through it all the time. They play a lot of Billy Joel. Oh, that's good context because I, I watched the first episode and then I stopped watching the series. So I did not know that this was like a big Billy Joel series. It's a big Billy Joel series. And, you know, this guy should come on this show. Yeah, Damn he it. totally should. <laughs> this is clearly a, a Billy Joel lover. I mean, look, in that episode that I'm talking about, they play three minutes of the song. So it's like a huge part of it. It's not just like playing in the background for a little bit. So there's definitely some new people who are like all of a sudden into Billy Joel. I actually noticed in some comments on YouTube, people would be like, oh, I'm here because of the boys. Right. Which I saw in a comment on, on one of my favorite YouTube videos. Did you see the 11 year old playing this at his at the Port Jefferson Middle School talent show? No, that's hilarious. <laughs> okay. Really love this video. Yeah. So it's an 11 year old kid called Matt. His name is Matt Luca. This is from about 2012 or so. He's playing this at the Port Jefferson Middle School Talent Show. He's got four keyboards going, okay? And according to the, the comment underneath it, he's the only thing that's a backing track is like the drums and the guitar. But every single keyboard he's doing himself and singing live. And you just he's got a little like uh, fedora on. And <laughs> you got to imagine the other kids in middle school have no idea what the hell pressure is. But this right. kid's giving it his all and does a really good job with it. He used to call me. something else on this and I, I i really don't understand but i was looking this up and apparently on this song and i can't find it they billy joe called in a bunch of russian people did you see about this no and they play some sort of instrument called the balalakis the balalala <laughs> i can't pronounce it it's some form of lute and it is played yeah. and it maybe it's played during that part with the instrumental like bah, 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 bah. and when he's like pressure it's something around there but i can't figure out and it's all these weird instruments that they call these guys these russian guys from brooklyn so they could play on the track for some reason and i'm not sure why and then the parts where where they're it and it, maybe it's this part that's the, that's the part i was having trouble when we, we signed on i was like still like wait i'm trying to figure out this one part i i can't get to the bottom <laughs> of it it, and I don't know whether it's the, you know, whatever that is, because that's that's not apparently it's it it sounds like a French taxi cab, they say, but it's 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 actually a, a tape of him where he says it's every note in his repertoire or something that 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 they did something. He recorded them singing the notes, he loaded the tapes and then Billy Joel messed it up and erased it and ruined something. And it came out into that. Well, There's a, cool a whole story. backstory between that whole thing. And Phil Ramon was yelling at him because he messed something up. And then they ended up using this. And then the, there's this other stuff I didn't figure out at the end of before we 
signed on to do this. That that's what was bothering me. Yeah. We'll, now I we'll just get put to out, the peas wrap up. Yeah, I just put out this information that I don't. Well, maybe one of our friends like Paul Lauren or you know or Julian could could let me know what what that is or what that instrument is or and what part of the song it's in because I can't figure it out. So there is there was some crazy thought that did go into this song. Yeah. Well, it's the whole thing sounds so weird. So I totally believe that there is some strange instruments or mess up going on in the background, but it all kind of works for it. Well, he says, uh, we recorded me singing the notes and then loaded the tape into an effects gadget called an emulator. Then we overdubbed me hollering pressure with the same inflection that a Royal Air Force captain might use to bark out a command like 10 hut. <laughs> so, That's great. Again, a lot of thought went into a song that he was just like, maybe this will work. Well, whatever it is, whatever voice effects he used works, because this is probably the number one frog voice Billy Joel song. The way he says pressure, that froggy voice. Remember Alex Sulkin was talking about how like there's that certain Billy Joel tone of voice that he uses sometimes. It sounds like there's a frog stuck in his throat. I'll tell you what it means. (laughs) I'll tell you what it means. No, not that. The way he says pressure is the frog. No, I I know. I was just I, I forgot he talks in this song, too. Yeah. He's very, very David Lee Roth. <laughs> yeah. There was this radio call-in show that you could find on YouTube where some kid, some college kid calls in to ask about the song Pressure. I, I heard that. That was hilarious. It's so funny because the kid's like, at the end of, after he asks a question about the song, he says, by the way, you know, uh, I met you eight years ago at a, at a Harley dealership in Babylon. And he says, you know, Billy, you were, you were there, you were driving a red Corvette. And then Billy Joel says, I don't have a red Corvette. And the kid goes, well, I think <laughs> as if he's going to yeah. correct Billy Joel and what kind of car he drives. That whole thing was amazing because, first of all, the two of them have the stupidest accents, you know, that anybody could ever have. They're both clearly from Long Island. Right. Yeah. Because the guy and <laughs> Billy Joel have that accent. He goes, yeah, I met you at a motorcycle. Deal. Oh, the Holly place. Yeah. On ba- Babylon Road. <laughs> yeah. Babylon Road. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. But then it turned out. But then you. It was so funny. It was so cute. The guy was like, he gave me, I felt bad, but I asked for an autograph and he gave it to me. And then Billy was like, oh yeah, no problem. It was like, it, yeah. it ended so well. <laughs> I thought Billy Joel at the end of it was like, well, you know, no problem. But listen, anyone listening, please don't bother me. That was a one-time I, I thought thing. he was going to do that too. And he didn't. And that's what made it so kind of adorable. <laughs> Alon, when I was going over to see which albums it was on and things like that, I don't know whether he likes this song or plays it live what are the stats besides obviously 1982 dummy <laughs> this song was huge in 1982 let me tell you something <laughs> for some reason billy joe liked playing it on that tour i don't know why <laughs> uh yeah so this song is the 13th most played song 513 performances documented. really uh, like you said about only the good die young when you were talking about that he's never stopped playing it is it Something like if he plays it that much is was there a pause for a while? Yeah, there was a pause, but it didn't happen in the 80s. It happened around 2007, 2008. Those two years, he took it out of the set list pretty much completely. I feel like for two years, that's not taking it out. There were a lot of shows in those years, though. So he might have performed 150 shows and only played it about four times. And I guess I just always think taking it out is like a five to ten year span, you know, so. Well, he didn't really fully bring it back until 2014, around when the MSG show started. And since then, it's been pretty regular. Not every single show, but pretty much regular. So that means that everybody likes it. 
everybody likes it. It's a fun song. And actually, during the River of Dreams tour, he played it more often than Piano Man. Wow. By that's one amazing. or two. <laughs> wow. Just barely. Well, that's something else, huh? Well, you know, that's the thing. You want to say it's a fun song, and it is a fun song, but it's not a fun song. I mean, if you listen to the lyrics, it's not a fun song. And yet it's a fun song. I mean, it's just like Allentown. It's the exact same thing. You're sitting there, you're rocking. You're like, woo, I love it. But the lyrics are so depressing. It's amazing. This guy is a miracle. Yeah, I think he just likes the speed of the song. It's kind of like Everybody Loves You Now, where it's probably fun when he is in the mood to play the synthesizer. It's probably fun. Oh, again, uh, I would I would put a live version of this song maybe on my hidden gems list because it moves. It's mm-hmm. so good. Again, even listening to Liberty's drums, they also add in a little extra synthesizer when it's live. They really go for it. They they embrace the synthesizer and don't cut it back like, ah, this was good in the 80s. It's not good now. No, they put more in. They add on a little extra. Really enjoy the live version of this. Yeah. Well, Dave, it's time for the trivia portion of the show. Do you have a stumper for me? No, I think I kind of used it already with that Buggles thing. I was going to say, I I didn't even know how I was going to word it. I was I was having trouble with trivia in this one because I feel like I, I feel like I knew everything about the song already, so I didn't have anything interesting. I used my trivia question in the context of the show. I guess you just couldn't handle all of the stress of uh, doing, uh, you know, this particular song. Oh, I don't know. What's another word for stress that I'm thinking of? Uh, oh, I can't get there. Pressure! <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Well, hopefully you have one, and I apologize again, folks. But uh, how many people knew the Buggles? I assume everybody knows that is the first video ever played on MTV. That's the ultimate trivia question. So I felt like an idiot. Uh, well, the question is, what's number two? Actually, uh, wait. I think off the top of my head, I I wonder if number two is Pat Benatar. Which song? Love is a Battlefield? No, definitely not. That's way before. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, look it up. Just, Should we look it up? Yeah. They probably have the first 10 songs that they ever played on MTV listed somewhere. Oh, you're good. Okay. List of first music videos aired on MTV. Number one, Video Killed the Radio Star. Number two, You Better Run by Pat Benatar. All right. Uh, but did I video kill the radio star? Is that that is what I said, right? Maybe yeah. I worded it differently. Okay. Yeah. Oh, all right. How do you like that, Pat Benatar? Number three. Run. Number three was a Rod Stewart song. Want to guess? Oh, that? Young Turks. No, she won't dance with me. Oh, right. Young Turks was a very important music video as well because, again, see, Billy Joel was the first '70s guy to embrace MTV. And then Rod Stewart came over. That's what everybody was wondering. Will the 70s, the guys that were big in the 70s, want to do this? Well, you know, the number four band was also a 70s band, even a 60s band, if you will. It was The Who with You Better You Bet. Right, right. That came out in 82. Yeah, but I think they were just, um, I think You Better You Bet is just a, a band video. Yeah, I don't think they put anything into their videos. Yeah, so that's the thing, you know, like the Stones did that too. And then they and then they kind of went for it also, which was, I mean, why wouldn't Mick Jagger want to be in a music video? You know, that wouldn't make any sense. But then there was, you know, Van Halen who just said, we're above this. Uh, but David Lee Roth was saying, no, no, no. 
I want to make music videos. And then you'll notice that after he left, when Sammy came in, who loved making music videos, uh, Eddie was like, we're not doing that anymore. We're done. <laughs> Elon, what, you have a trivia question, right? Yeah, that's right. I don't buckle under the pressure. <laughs> My trivia question is, what interview show on Channel 13 has featured Billy Joel on multiple occasions? Dick Cavett? No. All right, let me guess again. Uh, well, that's a good guess. He used to have a PBS show. Is he on show. Channel 13? For a, for a while. Um, okay. The McNeil Lara report? <laughs> uh, no, that would be nice, though, to have someone like Billy Charles Charlie Rose? Yes, that's correct. Oh, okay. Hey, I did all right, right? I'm thinking of all the Channel 13 shows. I actually know the theme song to the McNeil Lara report. You'd think I'd be smarter. It so went, you, you listen to the theme and then you just turn it off. Yeah, it goes da 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 It was exciting for Channel 13. <laughs> yeah, really exciting intro and then just crap. Well, News. then I didn't understand what the hell they were talking about. Yeah. It, it was like the, the Krusty the Crown summer special after when he goes off the air. Remember? Yeah, he just, he's talking like to um, the senator <laughs> or something. Like something Meany. It was some secretary of something, George Meany. Right, right, right. It was so great that because, oh, my God, that's what they used to do. All your summer shows would go off the air and they'd put on crap. is AFL-CIO Chairman George Meany, who will be discussing collective bargaining agreements. It's a pleasure to be here, Crossley. Let me be blunt. Is there a labor crisis in America today? Well, that depends what you mean by crisis. It was absolutely awful. It was so depressing. I knew exactly how Bart felt. He's like, well, I'll just get acquainted with an old friend called television. Because <laughs> he's in a cast, right? Yeah. I remember that his- one. Everybody's playing in the pool downstairs, and then he becomes. Oh my God! It's coming all back. Like that doesn't he? Uh, he's doing his British play. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Is it Saint Swithin's Day already? Tis and Helga. Ah, that's right. Oh, that was a miracle. Right, that was the uh, rear window takeoff, and it's got right. all those elements in it. it. Shows you what the Simpsons were unbelievable Great very episode. early on. This will be interesting. A parody for pressure. I can't even imagine. Well, imagine it's happening. My parody for pressure is called Pet Store. Oh, God. I, I guess you uh, have used up everything in your arsenal. The uh, Egg Foo Young really was everybody was praising you on that. And I uh, get the uh, feeling this is not going to end well. We'll see. We'll see. You have to buy your kid a dog pet store. He would not settle for a frog pet store. Every puppy in here is so pricey. But at the pound, all of the pets are full of fleas and going blind. So now you're here writing a check. 500 bucks to this damn pet store. Hey, now. Wow, that was really bad. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what the worst part is? And this is actually the best part. 
is that it's sad, just like pressure, where you, these animals are have all these diseases and stuff. I, I mean, I, I that was going to make me upset. But that's what the song Pressure is. So in that sense, I guess you did your job. Good enough. <laughs> you made a really distressing topic like animal shelters uh, in a fun, poppy tune. <laughs> I guess. You know, the best decision I made was not making this one of those extended, long versions of a Weird Alon parody. Yes, thank goodness. I'm sure you had some cosmic rational. That's where but here I am in minute 47 of this episode. <laughs> no good ideas for the parody. And so you're stuck here with Pet Star. Oh, God. <laughs> that was actually better than the song. <laughs> <I know. laughs> Psych one. That was precious. If you like our podcast, be sure to go to Apple and give us five stars. We release new episodes every Tuesday and Thursday, so make sure you hit subscribe so you don't miss a single song. Follow us on social media at Billy Joel A to Z and give us some feedback. Do you think this is Billy's weirdest single? Are you glad that Billy plays this so often live? Do you hear the classical influences? Did you notice the typo in the music video? What do you think satellite means in the music video? And have you ever heard of the balalaikas instrument that Dave is talking about? <laughs> However it's pronounced. <laughs> Until next time, I'm Alan Altman. I'm Dave Juskow. And this is Billy Joel A to Z. Pressure!